0: Welcome to IdeaGen TV's Dynamic Resiliency Summit. We are excited to have with us today a power note with Mauricio Vecchione, co-founder and co-general partner of Adestrel Ventures. Mauricio, welcome. Well, thank you, George, very much for that introduction. And uh, uh, I'm really honored to uh, get to speak to all of you. Uh, you know the subject of resiliency has never been uh, more timely than I think as we move into 2021 uh, from the legacy of 2020 and to some extent the consequences of of uh, the multiple uh, stressors that have affected the planet um, uh, through 2020 and and are likely to continue for most of 2021 and of course some. Um, I'm talking about the pandemic, but that's not limited to the pandemic. So um, some of the things that um, I wanted to share with you today is uh, uh, some of the trends that I'm seeing around the subject of impact and impact investing. Um, I uh, was privileged enough uh, to spend uh, almost uh, the last decade um, uh, working for Bill Gates. And um, trying to use uh, the power of the private sector um, and the power of innovation, especially sort of scientific innovation, to um, deliver substantial solutions and scalable solutions to some of humanity's uh, daunting problems. I feel like there is a an experience that needs to be shared, and I feel like there is an urgent call to action on um, on uh, you know this the 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 role of the private sector and the role of impact um, in the future of business itself, as well as in the future of humanity in terms of solving these issues. Um, you know, if we read the news or or if we just take a superficial approach. Uh, to many problem areas in the world, um, we tend to get a very pessimistic view on what's actually happening in the world. And, um, you know, th- there have been many studies done that when um, uh, people are interviewed and are asked to sort of pass a judgment along various metrics, um, and fundamentally they're asked if, uh, if the world is getting better or it's getting worse, Um, the overwhelming majority of people will think that the world is getting worse. And, of course, we're living through a pandemic, which certainly doesn't encourage optimism. And on the other hand, when you look at objective metrics of human development, um, uh, factors like uh, uh, chronic and intense poverty or child mortality, or other sort of metrics of of really human uh, condition. Um, I can tell you without a doubt that over the last couple of decades, the world has gone much, much better. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, child mortality, for example, has been cut in half, even in the poorest parts of the world. So it is possible, and I think those those uh, studies are showing that when humanity focuses on the right problems and when humanity drives solutions, often solutions that are science-based, that we can actually move the needle on solving these problems. Um, There's something else uh, that uh, impresses me, and that's sort of the global population scale of many uh, of these issues. Um, You know, it may it may be um, still fairly traditional to think in terms of um, the rich world and the poor world. And, uh, and we are sort of almost congenitally trained in the West to think of the poor world as, as a place where bad things happen and where systemic poverty and inequity Uh, pervade and in which business really has a hard time operating and in which many systems including governments are broken and while there's no doubt that uh there are many parts of the world um that that are still struggling with democracy struggling with uh the ability to uh, rise to their full potential uh the progress is incredible um Five of the top 10 fastest growing GDPs in the world right now are actually in what would be considered low and middle income countries. And actually a staggering statistics um, uh, was uh, presented uh, just a couple of years ago uh, in which the world actually passed the point in which the concentration of wealth actually shifted from the traditional Western parts of the world. Uh, Europe, North America, and southern parts of Asia, to the rest of the world. So there's actually more wealth in what we would normally have considered the large populations, centers, in uh, low- and middle-income country than, uh, than in what we normally would consider the first world. And there are some profound implications about that because the attitude that um, these problems have no solutions and that large uh, problems are, you know, destined to spiral out of control, and that the world community is incapable of reacting as a global village, Um, I think those things are proving to be wrong. And I think in some extent for uh, those operating in the business sector that can embrace these trends, there is a secret for uh, unlocking a really large opportunity. So. Both with my work with Gates, as well as uh, in the work that I do now, um, I've been really focusing on what is the role of the private sector in solving some of these uh, planetary scale problems. And one of the key conclusions that I've arrived to is that solving this planetary scale problem is not just a good thing to do for the world. It's not a charitable thing to do. Is not, a, is not just an equity or equitable thing to do, but it is actually an incredible strategy for innovation that has the potential of building uh, the scale that turns this innovation into the unicorns of tomorrow. So it's a long-winded way of saying that chasing some of the biggest problems in the world is actually a strategy for building the best future companies in the world. And if you uh, apply that concept, <clears throat> the notion that chasing high impact is actually good for business and it's good for the economic returns for those investors in those businesses, then you have the making of a redefinition of impact investing and a redefinition of the role of private sector. One of the criticism I have heard um, toward either philanthropic investments, as well as um, uh, private sector investment in these sort of big problems is that they're typically associated with really difficult issues and they're typically associated with high risk. So um, often I've heard from investors, uh, you know, I would love to do something that can move the needle in a sector like climate change or healthcare delivery. but it, is, it becomes extremely difficult to get your arms around as a commercially-minded investor uh, uh, on how do you pick the things that don't get you sucked into decades-long risky uh, science experiments as well as uh, require government-scale or even multilateral-scale involvement to actually execute. And so the question that I've been fascinated uh, with has been how do we take the private sector, relatively short-term, relative risk-adverse appetite, and make it coexist with a need for longer-term investments uh, in in building the innovation that can solve these sort of planetary-scale problems? The, the model that I want to suggest to all of you is that the answer lies in a grand partnership. In a grand partnership between patient capital that comes from those that are essentially investing in solutions for these problems on the philanthropic side, combined with the execution capacity and speed of, um, of the classic venture Type of investors, and I think when you combine the two, you have the opportunity to create a new type of investment vehicle. It's an investment vehicle that will stage its um, its uh, capacity by uh, beginning a systemic curation of problem spaces that are fit the big ideas, the big impacts but they're also fit to a solution that is based on science, technology, and innovation. And if you curate those grand challenges, for lack of better words, um, uh, using philanthropic dollars, and I want to stress that defining problems is just as important as devising the solutions, because if you don't understand the problem deeply, you're likely to have a solution that doesn't actually solve the problem and move the needle on the impact. But if we started out by partnership with those philanthropic institutions that have the patient capital and the mission horizon to really understand deeply uh, the problem spaces and to essentially provide the definitions to those grand challenges, and then partner with those institutions to provide the early de-risking capital on the innovation that is likely to bring the solution. Um, What you can do is essentially advance the solution space through the very risky stages, but then get it to a point in which it's ready for what I call its translational capacity, when it's ready to become a company, when it's ready to be part of a company for actual implementation. And so uh, uh, you have sort of the staged deployment of capital where at the beginning of the cycle you're deploying non-dilutive charitable type of funding, typically in partnership with charitable organizations and then as it becomes de-risked sufficiently to fall into um, the investment horizons of classic venture investors, then you assume the risk and you inject the capital for scale-up, for execution, and for market-driven execution using classic venture discipline. And so to some extent, you are blending uh, what charities are really good at with what uh, companies and ultimately uh, uh, investors in those companies are really good at. Charities are much better at the long game, at defining the big picture, and at incubating the fundamental science that will drive those solutions. They're actually not very good at the later stage execution, including the scale-up. And on the flip side, venture and classic Corporate uh, activities are very good at that later stage, and they struggle with these sort of early um, risk-driven big picture uh, questions. So this is all a long-winded way of calling all of you to action because whether you're sitting on the corporate side and on the private sector side, or whether you're sitting on the philanthropic and charitable side, I think it's time to come together to create resiliency in a system that begins to dramatically move the needle across uh, the big problems that face us. You know, uh, it has been said that the pandemic that we're living through, it's an unprecedented, some people have called it unpredictable uh, event. And people have talked about this kind of pandemic as being, you know, every hundred years or every five hundred years. Uh, let me tell you: since the 1980s, there've been 22 uh, um, pandemic potential epidemics, um, and we've averted disaster in some of the other circumstances um, only by sheer luck, and um, and we're still living through. One of those pandemics, uh, the HIV AIDS uh, pandemic without a cure uh, and without a vaccine. Um, So, you know, if you actually plot the frequency of these pandemics over time, you'll discover that we are um, actually seeing an acceleration. So there's something going on in the interaction between human beings, uh, between the environment, the planet, the zoonoses or interaction with animals that are actually aggravating the pandemic potential uh, of the world. Um, and uh, I'm sure you've all heard the experts talk about, you know, beyond dealing with the current pandemic, we have to start building the resiliency and the mechanisms to prevent the next one, because there will be a next one, and it may be sooner than you think. Well... To me, that's a cannery uh, in the coal mine example. That's evidence of the fact that the stressors that we're bringing in at the planetary scale, whether it's the environmental crisis, whether it's the climate crisis, whether it's human population um, and, uh, um, you know, um, the, the impacts of that population growth, the impacts of having soon a 10 billion people planet. Um, those are going to start accelerating these crises. And these problems, even though I started out by telling you that the world has gotten better, but the, the trends that often have gone unsolved and um, and allowed to fester are also going to accelerate the crisis. And, um, and so this is the time to start thinking about novel funding, and novel commitments where in the future, I think the great companies of tomorrow will not just be uh, great companies from an investor return and uh, a financial return, but will also be great companies from the impacts that they generate. Um, and in thinking about that, and in going back to the initial commentary I gave you, that um, that impact is also a strategy um, to build, the great companies of tomorrow, Uh, I hope you see that the two are actually linked and the two can uh, can actually leverage each other. Uh, I would venture to say that the great brands of tomorrow, the great resilient brands of tomorrow are very unlikely to be companies that don't also have great impacts on their customers, on their communities, on the planet. Um, And so, um, you know, I am currently engaged in creating as a case study in creating an investment vehicle that um, blends this sort of charitable early capital with uh, in a non-dilutive way with venture discipline, later stage capital for execution. And that is trying to operationalize these very concepts in in partnership with companies and governments uh, around the world. Um, we are looking at problems like malnutrition and how do we feed a 10 billion people planet in the future? At the time when it's obvious that if we scaled up agricultural production, uh, animal consumption and other things um, to essentially give us the capabilities uh, to feed that population, we will end up without enough land and we will end up ruining the planet from uh, various environmental impacts. So how do we evolve the business of food uh, out of the traditional um, environmental impacts? Those are the kind of mega problems that uh, I am throwing a great challenge uh, to everyone and that um, we're trying to address using this sort of hybrid um, uh, investment model that I just described. Anyway, I hope you found these uh, comments um, useful. Um, I make an invitations to all of you to join us um, in uh, in trying to address uh, the resiliency of the planet, the resiliency of our community, and the solutioning of these big problems from the perspective of private business. Um, and if you are on the um, uh, charitable or philanthropic side. I also invite you to join us, um, so that there is this sort of combined execution power in this grand partnership. Finally, I didn't mention the role of government, but um, you know, government plays a fundamental role in enabling both sides of this equation, and um, and uh, and so as a result, it's it's a third rail for in this sort of. Um, um, uh, uh, grand coalition that I've described. Um, but government can't be relied to be the only source of that sort of patient long-term capital, um, as we are clearly seeing from, you know, the enormous investments that organizations like the NIH are making in healthcare. And, and they've made great progress, and they're allowing a lot of early science to develop yet the capacity to translate that science into ultimately uh, executable companies and products that save lives has remained still very narrow. And people in biotech speak of the value of that to indicate that sort of transition from pure research to, uh, to clinical and commercial applications as being a place where much innovation uh, gets lost. So these are all the themes that uh, that I worry about. And this is all the themes that I would urge our greater community to uh, begin to action uh, operationally. I am optimistic that by embracing these concepts, uh, we have a very bright future ahead for the planet and for our communities. Thank you very much. <laughs>